What's up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, here on the Matt Baxter Show. I'm hanging out with a West Michigan man, Scott Patchen. Scott Patchen is an entrepreneur. He's a leader. He's a coach. He's an author. And he's just downright an amazing, amazing human being. I've had the chance to go on multiple mission trips with his son, which has just been an absolute blast. Uh, Scott is the author of multiple books that you can find on Amazon, one of which would be Truth at Heart. It's an honest cultural series book. Uh, the, the That's part two. Part one of the series is people-centered performance that he has that you can find as well. I've read multiple of his books, and he's just fantastic, a good leader, down-to-earth guy, willing to not only shake things up from a small business standpoint, but also from a leadership standpoint. And I've just had a wonderful, wonderful time uh, getting to know him both off the record uh, as well as on this podcast as well, too. So, Scott, thank you so much for being a guest on the show, and thank you for making West Michigan such an amazing, special place. Scott, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. Well, Matt, thanks for having me. I know it's probably a busy time of year for you, so you're slowing down for me, so I appreciate that. No, not slowing down at all. In fact, <laughs> I think this is going to be a pretty fun conversation. So I think, oddly enough, with the COVID world, we should be uh, recording with a beer in front of us in Holland, Michigan, but we're both in – you're in Holland, right? Yes, I am in Holland. So we're in Holland. We're, you know, we're 10 minutes away from each other and we're not together. It's a real disappointment, but we'll work it through in 2021. So <laughs> I know. Imagine us with a, uh, I, I'm a porter guy this time of year. So something dark. And yeah, I can totally imagine that. Yep. Oh, yeah. A little snowfall, a little dark beer. It's a good mm -hmm. combo. It's a good combo. <laughs> Love that. So, Scott, obviously, uh, We've spent some good quality time together, but I'd love to hear your story, your journey. You've got some sweet things going on, but you mind just kind of starting from a little bit of the beginning and hearing a little bit of the background? Yeah, um, background for me is I, you know, I started my my journey and in, in, in what got me here today really in larger organizations. And I come from a background where everyone in my family, there's a teacher in every generation. And probably the biggest aha moment for me was when I um, I come to the, you know, the area to work for Prince Corporation at the time. And and got involved in a really cool culture and 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 found my way into training and, and equipping other people kind of teaching but more in a corporate area and so i did that for years and that was kind of what opened my, my passion is seeing people you know excel and 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 make uh and, and make strides in their their impact in their work and I, I love being around people like that and i love seeing that and i came to a point in my life when i said you know i i, I want to go lead somewhere i'm teaching leadership but i'm i'm in this big company and i need to go someplace smaller where i can lead and so i actually went to a startup company it was about seven year old um 100 people in in grand rapids um, i ran people and, and strategy for them and really fell in love with small companies and fell in love with this concept of startup because two things i took away from that is i I think I made more decisions in the first month of that job that I made in the previous two years at my other job, just because everything was live. And then the other thing that really um, hit me is that even in a small company, if the leadership team is not 100% aligned on something, you can get it done, but it just takes a ton of work. So ultimately, um, I moved on from that job to another job, and then it was kind of in a larger company again, and I just didn't fit. You know, I'd kind of been ruined for, I mean, I was a small company person and I, I found that out probably. It took me about 20 years to find that out. So when I started my business about 11 years ago, I started consulting. I wanted to find leaders and leadership teams that were in growth mode, that were coming together. And you might have a founder or an owner or president trying to, how do you coalesce a team around them so that they can sleep, you know, have some breaks and, and things still get done when they're not there. And, and you create this high performing, healthy culture. And I I did that for, I've, I've really been focused on that client for about 11 years now. 
Um, and in the midst of it, I found a tool that I use that really helps equip those entrepreneurial leadership teams called EOS. But, you know, I've been face to face probably now, if I look back on it, it's like 30, I think 35 leadership teams, just hundreds of hours watching them struggle with big decisions. And it's just, it's, it's been, it, I guess, you know, we talk about what gets you out of bed in the morning. It, it, my work really gets me out of bed in the morning because I, I love doing it. I love it. We cover the whole podcast in three minutes. <laughs> I know. Well, that's, that's my that's my story. Yeah. No, I love it. It's amazing. So, so uh, first on the uh, growing up in a family of teachers. So I can resonate. Uh, I grew up in a family of doctors, um, and clearly, <laughs> I'm not uh, a doctor in any stretch of the imagination. Even the one uncle who didn't go to med school went uh, became a pastor, got his uh, PhD. So even he's a doctor, and I'm still the only Baxter without a doctor behind me, other than one cousin. So. I can resonate in that sense. Uh, for you, did you ever actually want to be a teacher? You like know, I know, I know, I know you're, I know you're a coach and you're, you know, you're a student and you teach people now. But was there ever like truly be an educator? Well, um, uh, I, I considered it, and let me take you back maybe to a moment in time. And this is one that I, I remember a lot because I, I've coached a lot of people through career transitions. Is I was thinking about being a teacher in high school and I had a basketball coach who looked at me and said, Scott, you should be a teacher and a coach because I love playing basketball. I obviously love kids. You know, I, I taught in a lot of summer camps like a lot of people do. And I thought about it. And at the time, I remember getting some advice like, you know, hey, teachers don't make any money. And I remember thinking about that as a young person. And that kind of stuck into my head as a good reason. And you know how reasons kind of you don't really challenge them. And so I, I that happened. And then I literally looked when I decided to start my business. My brother about the same time went through a career transition. He actually went back to school. He became a print teacher. He then became an administrator and now he's a superintendent. So in 12 years, he, he actually saved my generation from having, having another teacher, thankfully. So I, I did consider it. Um, but then I realized, um, you know, teaching for me at the time is it's not just, it, it can be a title, but a lot of it's just a passion. And I happen to meet adults in the world or the professional world, be they engineers, um, HR leaders, frontline workers. It didn't really matter. And helping them get better was teaching. And so I kind of realized that, you know, why well, go back and get a teaching degree and maybe, you know, maybe the best, maybe I, I'm here where I am because I'm supposed to teach these people, you know, and, and meet these leaders and, and help them learn and get over the next hump. So, yeah, I considered it. But in the end, I, I still feel like I do it. Um, I just don't do it in that way. And, and, and if I would if, if I could go back and change, I probably would have gone and become a teacher, you know, out of the gate. Um, but you yeah, know, no, I love it. So I, with with um, and I hope this is not a bad question to ask, but with so many teachers and very like that's sounds like a lot of what people in your family did was your leap to go to a big company. Was that just sort of the, if you're not going to be a teacher, then you should go get a big corporate job? Was there any of that conversation that happened? Or what was sort of the, obviously, you got a job at a great local company, which is phenomenal. But what was the sort of draw to a big company before you knew the whole world of startups? Um, you know, Matt, my dad worked for Dow Chemical for, what, 38 years before he retired. So okay. you know, there was there was some sense. And in, in, in that generation, you know, my dad was born in 27, so it was, it was you know, that generation is what you about you you sat and you worked right and and the company took care of you and, and that worked out for my dad you know he never got laid off at the age of 55 etc so that was kind of in my mind like yeah just go get a job you know i never thought of startup i i knew a few entrepreneurs when i was a kid and you'd hear my dad talk about it and they were crazy because you know how can you provide for your family if you don't know what your income is you know that kind of that kind of mindset 
So I remember that. Um, it was funny when I when I first went to the small company, I realized how much I loved it, even though it was, you know, at the time I had, you know, I had four kids and they were all, you know, under the age. I think I just had it. Uh, my, my fourth child had just been born. So it was it was kind of a risk. I mean, I took a pay cut to go there. It was very much a, a fast moving environment. So there's a lot. Of, so I didn't really realize I had the gumption to kind of do that until later in life. But, yeah, at the very beginning, I never thought about it ever. Well, I it's funny you say it's funny. It's funny you say risk in that context because that's actually a risk. Because, like, I, I, I occasionally get some people who say that I'm a big risk taker. Which, sure, that may be true. But as a college student, uh, starting a business without a family, without kids, without any significant mortgage, without any significant payments. It's not as big of a risk to take as it was when you do have kids and doesn't matter yeah. what your financial circumstances, you don't know what your income is. You don't know what the, you know, the next. And so hats off to you for that. Well, it, it, it kind of educated me as a parent too, man. I mean, it, you know, having that experience, I actually told both my kids or I'm a, I'm all my kids. I said, I, I really believe you should try a startup at some point, um, mainly because you learn a lot about yourself. Um, it is the best time in life, you know, because you know, going into a startup, you have to learn every day. Otherwise you're going to be in trouble. Um, and you're likely going to be around some really cool people that are going to pour into you, you know, like mentors and even funders. And, and so I both my first two, uh, my oldest and my, my Ben and, and both Anana have both that that their first job had been with startups. And they didn't both stay there necessarily. And I don't expect them to stay there. But I think and I've seen it. It's been a great learning experience for both of them, even though it's not easy. It, yeah, it's so true. So what your first um your first fall in love uh, experience with a startup, what was it? Like when you truly were like, man, this is, uh, this is what I love. This is what I enjoy. This is where I want to be. You know, it was, it was, um, it, it happened very quickly in my first, when I went to that first job, because it, so imagine me in, in the basement of this building, it was a bank. And so upstairs looked really nice. And, but downstairs we were in all these cubes and, and I was sitting at my desk and I'd been put in a cube and that was fine. You know, I just had my desk and this guy walked over and he was, you know, at the time Ryan was probably, I don't know, 23. And he was, they'd hired him to, to go open an office in another state. And my job was to create the leadership program that launched him, that helped him, that helped equip him as a leader and launch him. And he was fairly young, never managed people. And he came over and he said, hey, Scott, I guess you're, you're supposed to help me out now. And so when do we get going on this leadership program? And I remember sitting there, it was like day three. And I'm like, crap, I got, I got nothing, <laughs> you know, I, and, and that was kind of when I fell in love, when I realized there's no, I, I don't have to go in there and change anything. I don't have to sell anything. I just got to get moving and get something together based on all the years that I've, I've, I've watched leaders get developed. Now I just need to pull together what I believe are the, the best pieces and go. And I think that's when I really fell in love with it because I realized it was mine to, to you know, I wasn't alone necessarily because people would help me, but I just, I, and there, but there were no barriers in front of me. I just had to go and get it done. And, and I'll never forget that moment because literally he literally walked over and looked at me and those were his words. And I realized, crap, I got to get going. I got work to do. So it's interesting. I feel like you have a bit of a unique perspective on things because you pair startup stuff and just culture of that with also like uh, leadership qualities, which yes, every, you know, <laughs> it's funny. Every founder that has a successful exit 
then all of a sudden thinks that they're equipped to become, you know, a leadership coach. And so there's all this different stuff that's going out there. And a lot of founders are actually terrible leaders. But you mm-hmm. bring a unique perspective that you have both leadership quality coaching expertise, but also the love and the joy and the passion and the experience for startups. So how do those two things fit together? Broad, you know, obviously very broad question. Leadership meets startup. So tell me how it works. <laughs> um well, first of all, a lot of times you don't even think of yourself as a leader when you're starting something, right? You're just, you're going and you're asking for help and you got people together and you're just pulling it. Um, and I, I think when leadership kicks in, what I've seen and what I've experienced, when leadership kicks in is when you begin to realize that other people can't get their job done without you helping them kind of give, give them the context or oh, here's what we're trying to do. Um, and, you know, those frustrations that... You know, remember with startup, you get to a point where you literally can't do it yourself. And the only way you get over the first hump is when you depend on somebody else. Well, that's when leadership kicks in, right? Um, and I've seen that happen. I mean, I've felt that happen. I have a virtual assistant. I have someone, um, all my, all the people that work work for me and support my business are somewhere. And I have one on another continent. I have one in, you know, outside Washington, D.C. And even for me, the the recognition that, I owe them, I owe them attention and I owe them some structure to a plan. I owe them, owe them follow-up. I owe them every now and then asking, what can I do to help? You know, how are you feeling about your work? Is there anything we need to get done? All that kind of stuff. I owe them that kind of conversation and that's what leadership is. And I think when I see startups going on um, and, and I actually have done an opportunity, I haven't had an opportunity to jump in with a, you know, a startup, probably a lot like where Wedge is today. Um, um, and Garrett Pohl, when he was, he's a friend of mine and, and he's a, you know, he's, he's a, such a good guy. I he's said a serial that entrepreneur and he invited me in one time and it was interesting interacting with his team because they were going so fast and just introducing him to this concept of this rocks, you know, rocks are the biggest things you need to get done in the next, you know, 60 to 90 days. And it's a concept I use with all my clients and just, teaching them that one little thing allowed them to at least stretch their mind a little bit farther out because a lot of times you live in the next week and that's great, but what's the next month or three months look like? And for leaders, sometimes we have to paint those pictures because maybe we aren't going to be able to pay much attention to them and what they're doing for another three to six weeks. So what do we give them, you know, so that we can know that they have a, a target to go after and we can know when we do have limited time to check in with them, that we have some context to coach them. Right. I mean, does that make so that's kind of where I see leadership kick at meeting startup is you begin to understand that you have to help guide the work of other people so that you're all rowing in the same direction. And that's remember, that was my learning moment in the even in the company I was with I used to think small companies are how and I've had large company leaders. One, one time he said to me, I was trying to I was helping place a guy into a 40 person company. And I was talking to someone who was used to large companies and looked at me and goes, Scott, they're only managing 40 people. How hard could that be? Like, <laughs> little do they know <laughs> yeah, like it's a startup i mean it's super hard and they didn't get it um and you know even in small companies if you i mean if you can get the passion and so that's what i i, I see today because all my companies are entrepreneurial minded if you can get them if you can get a bunch of passionate people aligned and working together what they get done is nothing short of amazing Oh, absolutely. Um, and that takes leadership. It doesn't, that just doesn't happen by accident. Somebody has to lead that. And I think that's, that's what I've seen where leadership kind of meets startup and, and some of the key things that 
you have to kind of plant in seeds of, of startup leaders so that they can actually make successfully make the bridge to be more of a, you know, they're still a startup when you're, you know, you've been going for five years, you're still kind of a startup, but not a lot has changed since you started Wedge, I'm sure. And it happens to every leader when they, as the company, you know, progresses. It's, <clears throat> this is the first time uh, in, I mean, obviously we, a little bit before the call mentioned how much we've grown this year. Um, mm-hmm. It's the first time that, uh, like, I've, I've gone through this weird experience where I have a sales, uh, I have a, you know, somebody running sales for us and they're closing deals and I have no idea who the customer is. Now, obviously we're, we're dealing with like more transactional type, uh, you know, customer base. Once they're signed up, obviously we service them, but you know, they're not massive enterprise deal, they're SMB. And it's the coolest experience, but also the weirdest experience because when we first started, like every deal mattered and it was the difference of putting food on the table or not. And now, yes, every deal matters equally, but it's a different, it's odd that I'm not involved in the day-to-day of closing sales anymore. And that's mm-hmm. like one of the oddest, like letting go because my sales team is way better than I am. And so that's just a weird, that's been a really, really unique uh, changing experience for me. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's even the next level beyond that is where you, you're, you're far enough away from it that you still need to know whether or not it's working and you still need to be able to inspect it from afar. Like what are the metrics around to say that was a good sale or what's the margin on that sale? And those are the types of things. So in the companies I deal with Matt today and I help, um, many of them are in that moment where they, yeah, the same exact thing is happening. So how do you put metrics in place so that, you know, cause I have one, one client, um, the reason I started with them is they had somebody in sales and they were selling a bunch of stuff that was, the margin was terrible and the projects were being running poorly and they didn't know that. They didn't have any data or they didn't have anything around that to understand it. So that's kind of the next version of, I would say, startup in terms of companies growing is how do you put enough structure and metrics and, and at least checks around that so that you can inspect the different parts of a business and know that they're going okay. Um, so that's kind of the next level too. So yeah, there's, so there's a lot of really subtle transitions in the growth of a company. That's why growing companies are so much fun to work with is because the problems they have to deal with are good problems. That's, that's the truth. And so that's one of the reasons why I think so many founders are quite frankly, terrible leaders, because a, a lot of times found, not all the time, but a lot of times founders are pretty niche skilled. So whether it's, you know, developing a product or whether it's, uh, you know, certain expertise in one way or the other, but that's doesn't necessarily translate to being a good leader. So in your experience, what would you say that like, Outside of the world of a founder who wants to be a leader, wants to be a good leader, what is the role of like the other people on the team play into that? Or what is the role that another individual, whether it's, you know, a a skilled individual part of the team or a, you know, key player, what does that person's role play into a leader? Well, um, two things. And I think let's go back to founders, because this year I picked up a company that they're like 105 on the Inc you know, a 500 list. So I've never met, I've never had an organization that's higher on the list than this organization. And they're amazing to watch. You, by the way, that's cool. Well, it was, it was when it came in, you know, they, they kind of told me that. And I remember, cause I've been to the Inc conference. I mean, that's, those are my people, <laughs> you know, and I love reading about them. And so the founder was in a place where he needed a team around him. So the first thing that has to happen is the founder needs to recognize their their leadership capacity is not necessarily on the day-to-day oftentimes, it's the visionary stuff. And even in, you know, in EOS, what I use, we call it the visionaries. You've got to create a seat for them that fits what their unique abilities are. So one is they got to know themselves. 
and they got to get what they're good at and they got to get where they need help because that's the, that's the first thing that has to happen. And then the leaders that need to join the team need to begin to recognize their job is not to wait for the founder to make a decision. They have to lead. And I've seen very seasoned people in, um, you know, growing companies that literally it's taken them a year of me coming in every quarter, working with a team and setting these things called rocks and talking about goals for all of a sudden them to wake up and go, oh, this is the, my number one team is this leadership team. And I, I need to make decisions and I need to bring solutions and I need to be willing to have people nitpick at my my solutions because they'll make them better and i need to be able to you know you know so for those leaders you know the big the big thing for them is to recognize the seat that they sit in is a leadership role and they their job is not to wait for people to tell them what to do um and and that that may seem kind of rudimentary but it's seriously it's not i mean it's and it and again if you what what gets me excited is when the light bulb goes off and you see the people go, oh, yeah, right. I am in sales. I should be running reports on margins. Where our last 10 sales, were they good? Did, did they make as much money as we thought? What went right? What went wrong? You know, all that kind of stuff. That's what leaders do is they're, they're thinking that way. They're, this is my seat. This is, my, this is what I'm accountable for. And I think that's, that's, that's a super important moment. And, and a lot of leaders, again, they don't really really it's a subtle thing that kind of happens but it's a super important transition that needs to happen otherwise they're not going to be able to help the founder because the founder needs to get needs them to, to make decisions so hypothetically let's say i run a software company and hypothetically let's say my software company has uh six remarkably talented people and let's say i as you know the founder recognize that i'm probably not the smartest person on the team and i'm very content with that how would I take, like, what would be the first step towards taking initiative to empowering my team to make decisions on their own? Um, that's a great question. So I love, I love how the word hypothetically kept coming in. Very subtle, very subtle. No, no, I'm not asking for cheap, you know, advice or anything like that. Why do you ask? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not just a second, let me grab my beer real quick and let me yeah, think exactly. about that one for a second. No, um, um, you know, and it actually, I, I cover it in my book. And I, because when I talk about the honest culture journey, you know, part of you have to create a culture um, where, well, there's two things, Matt, that you got to, I, I would say to that leader, I said, remember my, my, the core tenets of, this is how I named my company. Actually, I was driving down the road and I, I realized there were two things I would teach leaders that they need to know of all the stuff, of all the books I would throw at them. You know, it, it's um, build trust with your team so that you trust them. And then use that trust to get the truth on the table, because without truth, you can't good decisions are not going to get made. And so um, I, I think part of empowering that team is and, and the first step in what I call the honest culture journey is creating a target is what's the target that we're going after? Um, because, you know, one of the things everyone's going to say, look you in the eye and say, oh, I'm ready to lead. But you got to give them some place to go. And, and the, the cool thing about creating a target is, and that's why I love, you know, when you said, you know, Scott, are you, could, do you wish you would have gone in and taught, you know, 10th grade or something? And I, I just think there's such richness to, to people coming in and having something that matters get done, like a sales plan or like we have to fix this so that our team isn't working seven days a week, you know, because they're burning out. I mean, there's always big things. So on the, in the context of work, we get to build a relationship together. 
And the relationship starts with a target. And the target is, okay, here's where we need to get to, whenever it is, and who's going to do what to get there. And do, I, do we all agree these are the key steps that have to happen? And I think um, even, like you mentioned, with sales, um, I've had leaders make the mistake of not having enough input into sales and hiring a sales leader that wasn't you know, familiar with their business. Here's a good example. And I remember about six months after that leader started, and they'd started in, in August, and then the, the founder and I were talking, and he goes, he was frustrated. He said, the sales aren't working out. He goes, you know, fall is sales time for us. And we just didn't get out there, you know, because he didn't know enough to get out there. I'm thinking, you didn't tell him that? I mean, you know, the, the target, you know, he had no clue what the target was. It was just go learn. And it's like, well, learn, but you better go out with me so we can sell in the business. So they literally missed a whole sales cycle, and the, the sales leader ended up failing. And so, you know, my my message to every leader is create, I mean, start with that target. What's the target that we're all going after? Cause that's the, you know, you don't have time to take teams on trust falls. You know, you can blindfold people and walk through the woods and that's all great, but you, you know, your trust fall is okay. Let's here's the target and let's start working towards it. So be really intentional about that. Does that. No, that's making complete sense. My, um, my only not pushback of a question, but uh, when you start, what I'm correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like number one, you got to all be on the same page of kind of what's the north star and where you're going. Is that yeah. fair? To say? How often? How often do you change that north star? How often is it appropriate to not without being distracted, but like revamp or say we need to make adjustments or pivot or what is that? Like I've run into that problem that I've pivoted too much, or I will get excited about a new idea and think we should pivot when we really shouldn't. So how often is that appropriate to like? revisit what that North Star is and realign. Um, Matt, one is I love cha- just challenge, you know, challenge the heck out of me. And I'll give you, you know, examples of what I've seen with leadership teams. Um, theoretically, I would say, um, and I say theoretically, because, you know, the book would say, you know, I would say, if you really want a healthy team, you don't, you can change the North Star whenever you want, but you know, you only do it after vigorous debate with a team. Yep. Yeah. And let me give you an example. Um, I was the, 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 the high flying company that I was just working with. I mean, we literally came into the plan. We finished what we call it. We fit, we finished the, the, the strategy, which in the US we call the VTO, which is the vision was, was set. And the founder looked out, he goes, but I've got this really big thing working. And if it hits, all this changes. And he, it was, I mean, he was working, you know, and you, you've probably been in those situations where if, if I land this whale, this, this model shifts, right? And applicable, you know, that hypothetical I was throwing out there, hypothetically, that's really applicable in my world right now. (laughs) So it's funny because, and, and what what was great that happened, and I talked earlier about leaders, you know, stepping up is the leadership team looked at him and said, okay, we understand that that's out there, but right now we're executing with these assumptions. Is that okay? And the guy looked at him and said, yes. Yeah, let's execute with these assumptions. But if this lands, you know, it's always it's going to land tomorrow or pretty soon it was next week. And then we then then we can adjust the plan. And that's the great thing about a plan is a plan allows for an I would call an intentional pivot and not an accidental one where if something big happens, you just go back to the plan and say, okay, so what changes from our initial plan? And let's make a shift. Let's all get on the same page and let's go. And let me give you a story about when this doesn't work. So I told you I was with a startup company. Um, seven years old, lots of things going on, and we hit a, a real rough patch in uh, in 0809 that it greatly, we we're in the mortgage business, believe it or not, we greatly impacted our business. And we had to make a pivot. And we were kind of waiting for a pivot. 
And finally, the leader walked in and said, and literally said, we're going to stop opening offices. We're going to do this and we're going to do this. And everyone sat there and there was no debate. And we just laughed. And the funny thing is, looking back on that, the, the, the key things that happened there is one of the changes we made in the business totally wiped out my job. Because my job was to, you know, grow leaders that were going to grow our business. And so when growth stopped, it's like that was probably that was the part I love to do, by the way. And so without the discussion, I had to kind of what, what it creates in a team is then people start figuring out, well, how does this impact me now? What do I do? And there's a ton of questions that happen with any pivot. And if you don't involve your leaders in the pivot and the impact of the pivot and trying to reset the plan, you're going to be left with people that aren't sure what they're supposed to do next. And so I guess that would be my, that's what I've noticed about that. And, um, you know, you, a lot of people see a plan as something that's going to constrict them. Yeah. And I said, and allows you to manage what the changes that hit you and you can pivot it all day long. And I mean, let's face it, COVID, I, I watched my leadership teams go, you know, across the board, some of them make some pretty significant changes, but they were, they were, they worked the ones that worked together on them that, that thought it through are the ones that are, you know, as the sales go back up, they're putting a ton more to the bottom line and that's not by accident. It's because they pivoted well. Do you think, uh, in your example, and obviously feel free to share what you're allowed to and what you're not allowed to, but do you think in your example, um, that people like obviously nobody knew what was happening in 08, 09. Do you think people were just looking for some direction and weren't going to question it no matter what, just because they were like looking to be led? <laughs> um, I think in in that in that case, yes. For that team, I, I would say yes. Do you think that had any impact into like I mean, called scared culture? Obviously, very understand it understandably. But do you think? I guess what I'm getting at in in, in that circumstance. Is there an element of people aren't going to push back, quite frankly, because they're afraid? Not necessarily in that circumstance of the leader, but just because they have no idea what to do next. Um, I don't know. I don't believe that. I mean, I, I, I've seen enough leaders that given time to kind of digest stuff yeah. and given them a context of here's the discussion we have to have. Um, for example, you, you never go in a room, drop a bomb and say, OK, let's go. You know, the recognize when you bring a leadership team together, for example, some people are um, they, they tend to process out loud and some people need to go think about it. Yep. Um, maybe some people need to go, um, you know, they're in an area where they don't they've never been here. before. you know, they're, they're maybe they're 29 years old and they've never led through a pandemic before. Well, most people haven't led through a pandemic, but maybe they've got a mentor who's been in the business for 45 years and they sit them down and say, hey, have you ever been here before? What'd you do? You know, and, and allowing some of those conversations to equip the leaders to kind of build it, you know, build it back up so that you can then go back in and say, OK, what, how does this impact the plan? I think, you know, the word I would put in there is be be truthful. You know, if something has to happen again, this isn't wartime. So, you know, it's great that you're charging up a hill and, you know, people aren't firing live bullets at. We're just running a business here. Right. So let's understand if you need to pivot, you know, say it and the leader just has to have a little bit of patience to allow the people to kind of absorb it and then say, okay, now what? Because if the leader's saying, now what, here's all your assignments, then it's broken. Patience, interesting choice of words there, because that's something I think, uh, if you, if you're a startup leader and you're able to have patience with people, you're pretty far ahead of the game. (laughs) Patience could be 10 minutes, Matt. I mean, seriously, that's the thing is like, 
a lot of people think everything's a fire and everything's not a fire. I mean, it, yeah, so true. We, I mean, even if we only have a half hour to go back to my desk and go, huh, and pull up the spreadsheet and go, okay, how does this impact? You know, just at least to start to process it so that I can engage in it. Cause remember for every visionary who comes into a room with a pivot in mind, they've had the advantage of thinking about it for probably days. And so, you know, it's, it's, and, and so give, give people a little bit of chance to catch up. That's another way to look at it. Allow everyone to catch up so that they can be thinking on the same line as you are. They see the same issues or challenges and opportunities. And then let's, so yeah, I'm, I, I, when I say patience and I, that's why I love, uh, I love the small company world. It, you know, in patience in a large company is we used to go by quarters. Okay. Well, that'll be second quarter then. You know, and and the cool thing about smaller companies is patient. You know, usually we, we measure things in days and weeks. I was about to say the second quarter of the day. You mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's that's the big difference is how we how we view time. And a big company are like, well, it's going to take you know, ten weeks to get that done. It always takes ten weeks. Well, okay, that's why I don't work in a large organization. <laughs> no, I get that. And and I I would say as a startup founder, and I wouldn't call my, qualify myself as a leader by any stretch of the imagination. Um, one of my greatest sins is I'm an ideas guy and I'm a, what is currently on my mind is the most important thing. And I'm, I'm saying like, I'm not proud of that. And I will walk into a room, I will have an idea, I will want to implement it right away. And I will mm-hmm. expect everybody else is on the same page. And that's something that I personally am just working on in general, because I'm, easily excited about a lot of different things. And I move quickly, which is a great spot to be in for a startup. But at the same time, it's a horrible way to lead. And it's also at times like I've seen other people, I've seen other leaders and other organizations have this as a problem is that it's sort of, uh, it, it creates a level of like lack of credibility with the leader because every idea is the greatest idea in the world. And therefore there's no such thing as a good idea anymore. And so that's something I've been dealing with quite a bit. But, you know, Matt, that's your unique ability. And that's why the business is where it's at. I mean, you know, you're a visionary, right? And, and you know, that's the language you call visionary. You need an integrator. You need someone to be at least a little bit of a buffer. So that when you leave the room, you know, the ideas that make sense, they make the most sense. They get focused on and, and there's a, some sort of prioritization that happens. So, but Scott, to- but Scott, the implementer, the integrator really pisses me off because they tell me no. I know. I know. That's why you have to pick the right person that you're going to actually be listening to. And they don't always say no. They might say, okay, let's think through this one, Matt. Which one's the, what's the best one, do you think? And, but that's, and that's as good as a no to me. <laughs> I know. Well, and, and know that, so my last four clients, I've had two, two of my last four clients have been, I mean, I should introduce you. They're probably, they're, they're, you know, I don't know if there'd be a DNA match or like long lost relatives or anything, but they're wired exactly like you. <laughs> and, and, and that's, you know, that, that's the, that's what smaller companies, smaller companies are growing have someone like you in the business somewhere, Yeah. whether they're leading the technology part of it and just pushing, pushing the boundaries, whether they're out front, you know, pivoting the organization based on what the market's doing. I mean, there's always someone like you in, in a successful, you know, growing small company. And that's the visionary. So again, unique ability, embrace it. But what do you need around you to make the, to really make the engine rev? Yep. Yep. Um, that's a good word. Um, little transition here. So tell me about the book. Obviously we've, we've touched base on it at a couple different things, but I'd love to hear about the book. Well, the book is called truth at the heart. Um, you know, how honesty, trust and teamwork can transform your business. And it, 
it really was born of this idea. And I actually, my first book was called People Centered Performance, which actually was a conglomeration of, I did a bunch of blogs and I put them all together and said, what's the common theme? And the first book was more around the heart of the leader that everyone, every leader says, I care about my people, but you know, in my experience with them and coaching and watching them is the behaviors aren't necessarily following the intent. And so how can I help shift leaders so that they still that they more openly care about their people and more openly include their people in decision making and all that kind of stuff. This book is really taking that and saying, okay, now if I go into my, you know, I go back to my team, now what? What's the first thing that I should do? And so the the honest culture journey is basically it's a series of four steps where I kind of talk help you give some context for here's how you create this, you know, where honesty, trust, and teamwork transform your business. You know, you heard me say that starts with a, you know setting a clear target. And once everyone leaves the room and says, okay, we all know where we're going. It's about, you know, recognizing all those miscellaneous conversations that happen, you know, and, and how do you master that so that nothing, you know, you, you hear the right things and don't necessarily get drawn into everything, but you, you pick up on the right, you know, the, in all the miscellaneous conversations you have, you, you hear the right things and you react appropriately. And then how do you set the pause up? That's step three. And the pause is when you bring those leaders back in the room and really say, how are we doing? And then that reorient, which is, okay, now that we've maybe, you know, pivoted, you, you mentioned pivot, now that maybe we've made some tweaks to the plan based on our, the week or, or day or, or, or month that we've been running, let's reorient ourselves, make sure everyone else is aligned with the plan, because usually there's only about three or four people in a room talking through a plan, and then let's start the process again. So it's kind of how I equip leaders to take back some of the philosophies that I've talked to and how do you, how do you implement it with your team? And so that's the whole nature of the book. Um, the two th things that I, I'm actually most excited about hit me is one, a recognition that there are clouds. There's things that are going to get in the way of you doing this well with your team. And I really do, do take a deep dive on one of the clouds is ego, one's fear, um, one's self-doubt and one's crisis thinking that those are, th and I call them clouds in the sense that if those things kind of take over a person's mind, it's very hard for them to participate in, in the process. And the second thing is, is I went out and interviewed six, a diverse group of leaders across all different industries, not for profit, for profit. And, and in many ways, just interviewed them around things like, how do you know someone's telling you the truth? You know, how do you plan? Um, what do you listen for that triggers that you need to pay more attention to this one area, this one part of the plan? What, how do you listen well to people? And just that simple. And so probably a third of the book is a lot of the real life stories from, and mentors I, I think are critical in any leader's life so i'm going to i bring you six mentors that that have some great great um great things to share so that's kind of that's the book um in a nutshell it's equipping leaders to to build a honest you know an honest truthful you know where truth and honesty reign high performing culture so let's say you've got a group uh you've got a, a startup of a, a hundred employees and you've got a you know five to seven or let's say four to five leaders sitting around a table that have all read your book, what would be one question that you would want them to be asking each other that came from the book? Or one, like if they took one thing away from the book and that led to a discussion, what do you want that to be about? Um, I, seriously, you, you got, what's your target? I mean, what is this, organ, where are we going as an organization? Um, I know that sounds like, well, Scott, that's not about the people. It will be about the people, but you got to, what you owe the, the organization as a leadership team is some clarity around where the organization is going. And 
that by asking that question and debating that question as a team um, will also make you a healthier team because you can't have trust and honesty throughout your company if the if it's not being it's not happening at the leadership team yeah and so literally i would i would start with where are we going and do we all agree and see the same thing um since you um since you touch base on uh, what what is the get you out of bed in the morning early on i'm going to i'm going to ask a similar question to that but i'm going to slightly change it relative to the previous question okay okay so you, your book uh if if people asked one question based upon your book what's the target and they were discuss that that's like kind of the pearl of wisdom you would want them to walk away with so for scott's life if somebody if you were to interact with somebody for 30 minutes an hour 10 years, decades, your kids, your wife, any of it. What's the one piece or the one impact you want to have people walk away from after knowing you? It's a, um, that's a great question. And I can't remember when my answer hit me, but it hasn't changed probably for like, I think it was probably before I even started my business when I began to think about where do I best fit and what, what's the problem I want to go solve in the world. And the, the passion statement that I still use is to maximize growth and minimize pain to move, to move people to and point the, to, to and past the tipping point of success. So my passion, what gets me out of bed in the morning is to see people kind of find their way and find success and turn. And, you know, I, I, I was going through a coaching experience probably 20 years ago man. And somebody said, describe to me what, what success looks like for you. And I said, I'm sitting in the back of the room and there's a whole bunch of people in this auditorium, um, it's pre COVID obviously. And, and this person walks up on stage and they get an award and everyone's clapping for them. And they, they, and all they do is they turn to me real quickly and they just give me a nod. And that nod is thank you. And that, and that's kind of, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's why I parent, I mean, the way I parent is I, you know, there's nothing better than sitting back and seeing your kids, you know, do something that, that they did it themselves and, 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 and you get to celebrate with them. Um, I, I, that's in my work. Um, do the same thing every time I come out of a quarterly or an annual and, and the team killed it. And even this year, it's just like, all right, <laughs> you know, it's good to be around for that moment. And so being around for those moments matters to me. I love that. I love that. Well, Scott, um, I want to give you an opportunity for people who want to reach out to you, learn more about your business, buy your book, any of the above, what's the best way to communicate with you? Okay, man, this has been tested a couple of times. Let me make this bold statement. I'm the only Scott Patchen on the internet. No way. So if, yeah, if you Google Scott Patchen, although there is a Scott Patchen, he's a fireman out in Rascom and I'm going to meet him after COVID at some point, but um, Google Scott Patchen. Uh, the book is on Amazon. It's called Truth at the Heart, um, How Honesty, Trust, Teamwork Can Transform Your Business. Um, in the back of the book, um, and I don't know, do you know Bob Goff? Have you ever heard him? I sure have. Absolutely. Okay. So you know how Bob always gave out his phone number? Yep. So at the back of the book, in the very last page, I said, if you have any questions, you can call me and I give you my phone number. So I'm pretty easy to find. Love that. Um, so I would invite you to come to my website. I invite you to read the book. And uh, again, both books are out there. People Center Performance is the first one. Truth at the Heart is the second one. Um, and and uh, yeah, if you if you have questions about this, I'm yeah, I'm always up for a conversation. You know, people. It's it's so much. I had a leader from. Um, he read one of my blogs from South Carolina. Uh, but it was about three weeks ago, and he said, "Hey Scott, you said you give me the one. You, you give me these two resources. One was a Harvard Business Review article, one was a book." And so I'm like, "Sweet, sweet." So I sent him a book, and he goes, "Wait, 
you had to pay for that. I'm like, I don't know. No one ever asked for a free book. So here, here, here's your book, you know, go, he was teaching finance to his team or something. So I'm um, just give me a call. I'm, I'm always, I'm always open to, to talk to leaders about where they're at and to share, you know, kind of what, what I've got in terms of wisdom and, and, and help me help where I can. So. Love that. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Well, Matt, thank you very much for having me and Hey, good luck with, um, Good luck with Wedge. And I know this is, podcast isn't about your business, but it's been fun watching where that, that business has gone over the last couple of years. So good luck going forward. <laughs> Thank you so much. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su- subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.